This is 4L with Ryan O'Neill and Rebecca DeCoster. I'm waiting for your signature sign-on. What up? What up, Spicoli? <laughs> and then I would be like, what's up, Mr. Hand? Spicoli thing. <laughs> Oh boy. All or right. Is that just hearsay? Oh. Oh, you gave away our topic today. <laughs> uh you wanted to talk about everyone's favorite hearsay expert. I think Johnny Depp is probably going to teach like the Barbary course on evidence at this point, right? Well, listen, if all if he here's my observation and we're talking about the Amber Heard Johnny Depp um trial the trial um and there's a clip going around that's viral of johnny depp anticipating hearsay objections because just by sitting through this trial apparently he's learned hearsay rule better than most of us yeah um which is amazing and also makes me wonder why people don't understand the hearsay rule it's it's not even that I think people don't understand the hearsay rule. I will tell you, I think a lot of attorneys struggle to understand the hearsay objections, or excuse me, the hearsay exceptions, if I could talk, the hearsay exceptions and their application. Well, I disagree because I think they don't even understand what hearsay is a lot of the time. So, no, I'm serious because there are a number of folks who you know, somebody makes a statement and is saying what the opposing party said, and I get a hearsay objection. It's like, that's not even hearsay. Like, it's not even like we have to figure out what the exception is because it's not hearsay in the first place because it's an admission of a party opponent. Right? Are you having a stroke? What's happening? No, no I'm here. I'm, I'm trying to multitask, which is always a struggle. Um, I think you're right. I was just trying to give people the benefit of the doubt. Well, that's sweet of you, but that's also <laughs> not my role. That's your role. <laughs> right. Bad cop, good cop. So just if you could, for those who maybe were not following along on court TV all day for the past week, what, what is the nature of the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial? So as I understand it, um, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard got divorced and I think... 2016, something like that. Um, they issue a statement to the press uh, after agreeing to a settlement that says something about, you know, that their relationship was passionate and sometimes volatile and always bound by love or something like that. And if you think those two people wrote that statement, you're sadly mistaken because you know their teams wrote that statement. But that statement came after there was um, some fodder and I think a personal protection order or whatever the equivalent was of the jurisdiction that issued the restraining order between the two of them because Amber Heard had alleged that Johnny Depp had physically assaulted her. Um, so there are those allegations at the beginning of the divorce then they issue this statement after the divorce. And then after all of that, 
Amber Heard writes an op-ed that's published in a newspaper of some repute. I don't remember if it was the New York Times or the Post or what it was, but it wasn't Variety. It was like an actual like journalistic newspaper um, indicating that she'd been the victim of domestic violence. And she never names the perpetrator, but Johnny Depp's argument is that really it was easy to infer that it was him based on the allegations that had been made during the beginning of the divorce case and throughout the litigation of that divorce case. Um, So he has sued her for libel. And I don't even know what the award is that he's asking for, but I had said to my husband that I don't think the point even is the award at this point. The point is litigating it in a way that everybody knows is going to become public as a way to restore his reputation. I don't, do you agree with that or am I just up in the night? No, totally agree with that. Um, Are you even listening to me? Cause you look like you're doing like seven other things at once. No, I am listening to you. I listen to every word and I agree with what you're saying. I was trying to formula, formulate my response without centering the entire thing on like two of the movie franchises I love the most, which is Harry Potter and Pirates of the Caribbean, which is what he lost out on after like that was sort of the fallout for him was losing these sort of iconic roles, right? He played in Fantastic Beats. He played um, Grindelwald, which I will tell you just like pop cultural like moment for us here. I, I thought that was a miscast from the beginning. He didn't really fit the role very well. Mads Milkinson is playing him now, and I think we'll do a much better job in any event. Uh, the other one that he has was, you know, well known for obviously was playing Captain Jack Sparrow uh, in the live version of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies from Disney. And and after the op-ed came out and sort of these allegations were made or surrounding their divorce case. Uh, he got dropped from a number of those high-profile projects. Right. Didn't Disney just basically do a blanket? We're distancing ourselves to be safe. Yeah, like we're done. Like we're we're sort of cashing out of this. And 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 you know, at the time when that happened, there was a lot of commentary that I saw on social media and in and in newspaper articles saying, well, wait a second. At a minimum, these two were both sort of guilty of being involved in this toxic relationship. And they both had issues and were probably both at fault. And again, that's something that does that unfamiliar to you or I. We see that in on our dockets and in cases where you have both parties are just it's mutual violent. conflict. Yeah, mutual conflict. And you know, he got penalized for it and and she seemingly did not. She, I think, just finished rapping on Aquaman 2 and is involved in some other projects. And meanwhile, he seems to have been sidelined. So right. but because I, I think the, 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 the party line or the story that everybody bought was that she was the victim and he was the perpetrator, as if there's only ever one of each. Right. And I think I think that's super. I mean, we weren't planning on going down the DV road today. But I think that's super common is that there's a perception that there's one bad guy and one good guy 
and there's no nuance. And a lot of times there is nuance. And a lot of times there is mutual combat. And some of the testimony that's coming out of this to me is, and I hate myself for being fascinated with their toxic relationship that's being paraded on display for me to be fascinated with, but it is fascinating because it is a dynamic and it isn't so straightforward all the time. Sometimes it is, sometimes it is straightforward and sometimes there is a good guy and a bad guy, but a lot of times it's complicated and the dynamic between two people is just really toxic and you know, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. Well, well, okay. First off, far too many people in this world can't grasp or process nuance. We, we like things very much like winner, loser, bad versus good. Recordings are pretty, they're pretty telling. Yeah. Um, so for people who are listening, who don't know, there are a shocking amount of audio recordings of these two during arguments, which like, I guess I would hope that if I were in a relationship that was so toxic that I felt like I had to record, like I would hope I would tap out, but yeah, I know. Which he, which he tried to explain away in that I think he saw history repeating itself between the dynamic that he saw with his mom and dad and what he felt he was going through with Amber Heard. Right. But I think, so they, their marriage counselor or their relationship counselor, whichever it was at the time, testified. Um, and I think very credibly was like, it was mutual combat. But she would start it a lot because she has these significant abandonment issues and he would try and leave the argument and she would rather hit him and engage than have him leave. And then there was an audio recording that sort of seemed to back that up. Yeah. It's like, you know, you take off or you split and like, that's going to just make the argument worse. And he's like, you mean like I go in the other room? And that's what she meant. Like he went in the other room and she could like, it was a real triggering for her or something. It was very strange. Yeah. Yeah, the the dynamic between, and again, we've we've only heard her, his side, but, but the marriage counselor certainly came across as very credible and, and certainly had some corroborating evidence that sort of supported the notion of, of what you and I both talked about at the beginning of this, which is that this is a case where both of them bear responsibility. This wasn't, at least it doesn't appear to be one of those situations where you did have one person who was a victim and one person who was the abuser. Right. Like I think, you know, the conventional wisdom, like we've been saying, is there's one person who's cowering and covering their head and not engaging. And there's one person who's out of control and violent and abusive and that's not, it's not always how it is. No, no. His testimony though, I, I think you and I as, as people who hear cases, I mean, I could only dream of having somebody like him because his, oh. his delivery is just, I, and look, there are moments where it's a little bit over the top and you're like, you know, you, dude is a fantastic actor, right? Like he, he He's gotten to this point in his career by 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 being as talented as he is, and I, it's probably hard. You probably can't separate that when you're on the witness stand. But um, we're going to assume that Ryan figures out technologically how to insert clips from the trial at this point, and then 
and then you can hear those. And then we're going to talk about what that sounded like afterwards. Objection calls for hearsay. Let, let me ask you a different question, Mr. Depp. Yes. Um, Let's let him object to another one. Um, He'd had a conversation with Ms. Hurd. Let's move beyond the conversation that Shelly Murphy had with Ms. Hurd. He said, yes, they had. Okay. It appears that Ms. Hurd had told... What she would like for him to cook. That's hearsay, I guess. I know, I just serves off of the truth of the matter. He got it. But what you can hear from him is, you know, first off, a real recognition that, like you said at the beginning, he very quickly grasped what hearsay is and then sort of, right, amazingly, makes light of it, like in terms of saying, like, are you going to, what do you call them? These are the hearsay papers. Are you going to object? Are these papers hearsay? How come I can read something in an article and testify it? But if I heard it from the man's mouth, I can't tell you what I heard. And you're like, I mean, I guess that's a good point. <laughs> well, and he's asking the right questions, right? Right. Which is, and you're right. His, he's very articulate on the stand. He, he's very tempered. Um, and I think, and this I'm sure this will come up again in future podcasts, but part of what makes a credible witness, not that you're perfect, part of what makes a credible witness is that you own your shit, pardon my French. But like, nobody expects humans to be perfect. We all make mistakes. A lot of us do stupid stuff because when it's you personally, you don't have the perspective to, or sometimes the impulse control not do stupid stuff, but you have to, own it and don't lie about it. Like the, for me, the lying on the stand is a double whammy. First, you're lying under oath, which is bad and a criminal act. So that's not good. And then also you're assuming that I'm so stupid that I'm going to believe your lie. So you're insulting my intelligence also, which is a, also a problem. Right. What do they say? I mean, what's the, what's the old saying? The cover up is always worse than the crime. Yeah, Watergate. Right, which, which I don't know is necessarily like a universal rule, but but I agree with you. When when you are listening to somebody testify, and you can clearly tell that they are saying things that are not true, you're immediately. It it also becomes one of those things where I think you're just sort of the ability to, to judge them credibly in the future now becomes compromised because- Well, right, because you're lying under oath. So I know that you lie under oath. So I do I think that in six months when you come back and you're testifying that you're any more credible in six months than you were just now? No, I know what you're willing to do. Willing to and lie. That's, and that's part of, that's part of what I think, again, just in reading things from on social media, and reading articles that have been written by people who have followed this more closely. I like from the very top, I'll just say, my exposure to this is limited to what people have posted on Instagram. Twitter. The lawyer meme pages have been fantastic because of this. 
um, what they've been putting out. Uh, what was the one that I saw this morning? It basically said like Johnny Depp mastering hearsay after three days proves what a waste of money law school is. You're like, dang. Um, but the general consensus seems to be that he has, that people find him to be credible for, for the reasons that you articulated. He doesn't seem to be getting caught in like a web of lies, even when they, you know, on cross have tried to trick him up. He's remained very calm and very tempered. And I cannot tell witnesses just how important that is just to not engage because lawyers are exceptionally good at getting you to take the bait and to lose your cool. And he hasn't done that even when he was asked four separate times whether his signature was that on the divorce judgment. So dumb also. What a dumb waste of questions. But also, where was his attorneys on the asked and answered? Like, that seems like a pretty. Well, I'm going to actually. I think there are far too many attorneys who. Object. It's a valid objection. But where is it really going to get you? I I agree with you on the second or third one, especially if you have a client who's demonstrating great restraint and is not changing his story around I guess by the fourth time he was asked like I just would have stand up and said like how many more times are we going to ask this like we've got better things to do yeah I think time number four you can say your honor asked an answer and you'd probably get your objections sustained but also like if it's a jury trial I would rather have the jury hate my opposing counsel because you know it's going to trickle down to the client should it probably not is it going to yes um so if I just by sitting silently um, am getting the jury to hate that guy more or that woman more, like I'll let a harm a harmless um, badgering continue, especially if my client's keeping their cool. Right. Yeah. How the client's responding in that moment's probably the most critical portion of, of how you're going to proceed. But I agree with you. There's there's a lot of objections that are made where I'm like yeah, I get that you can go down that route, but do you need, like, you're right. Sometimes there's value in letting questions that could be objected to being asked. Right. Like, is it like just dumb ones that are easily verifiable and that nobody cares about that aren't particularly relevant? Like their background questions or their stuff that's already in the court file or like, oh, wasn't the title of your motion actually this? Nobody cares. Like nobody cares. (laughs) I'm sorry, but did you use an Oxford comma or? <laughs> Should always use the Oxford comma. Always use it. Yeah, that'll be our next podcast will be the Oxford comma. So I, don't, I, I feel like we could do like four podcasts just on this trial on different aspects. Like there's there's the DV aspect. There's the hearsay um, evidence aspect. There's probably going to be prior bad acts kind of stuff like. It's just a treasure trove of all kinds of stuff. And we don't even know how it's going to turn out yet. No. And there are a lot of complexities to this because I, and I might be mistaken on this, but weren't some of these claims litigated in a UK case? I think it was a different publication. Okay. Because that, so, right. So this goes back to defamation is so fetch, which, so there were, it was different publications. So the UK case was against the publication for publishing stuff that was like, he's a 
partner abuser, or he's a spouse abuser or whatever. Um, that was against the publication. This is against her for making the false, allegedly false statements that she then had published. And it was an op-ed. So I don't know that the newspaper then has the same obligation to investigate and make sure that things are true and, and that sort of thing. Well, and this was in the Washington Post, right? Okay. I couldn't remember if it was New York I Times. Thought, but they're not a defendant, I don't think. No, it's her personally. Right. Um, I'm trying to double check that. She she had a Twitter post up the other day. Is she seriously posting on Twitter in the middle of a trial? That's more wrong. It was right, it was right before the trial, essentially. Like I'm gonna be I'm gonna be laying low for a bit as I go into this court case and then like ended it with like a I still love Johnny and care for Johnny and then um immediately turned off all replies to every single Twitter post she's ever had so that there could not be public responses to it yeah um which is fine it's your account your prerogative i again i i have to imagine she would have vetted that by an attorney i probably would have just said to her we're not gonna acknowledge the trial you're just gonna well i mean it's the elephant in the room she's not saying anything that is directly relevant just saying like she doesn't but 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 you don't need to you don't need to give that it's like extra ammunition that you don't need to give. Like everybody knows you're on, you know, that you're in the middle of a trial. We can see you there, right? Some days you've come in dressed like you're going to be auditioning for a remake of Little House on the Prairie, which is fine. And is it? <laughs> is it? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, but but I guess that's my point is you know, you know, every element of her look has been scripted by her attorneys right? The same as we would do if we were representing a client in that case. And, and it just seemed curious to me that knowing that the spotlight was going to be on you for the, for the better part of a week or two weeks while this case is, is proceeding, why even make a state? It, it's a total throw. It did nothing. It doesn't help your case. It, it, I don't think it necessarily hurts your case. It's just, I don't know. I just thought it was a real questionable decision. Well, okay. So we're going like in a thousand different directions, which is why like, it's a shame we have a limited amount of time today. But that's why it's a podcast because none of this stuff stays. (laughs) Um, I will say that very often, like you, the way you present yourself in court as a physical appearance is not particularly going to help you, but it sure can hurt you. That's sort of been my experience, which is, um, do you show up presentable? Like, are you wearing a sport coat? Are you wearing a dress shirt? Are you, you know, wearing something that would be like considered like casual professional and showing some respect for the court proceedings and for the court? I don't think that's ever going to hurt you. But if you're the... (laughs) If you're the person who shows up with like the staged background on Zoom, which I don't know if you're seeing a lot of this, but I'm seeing like, I'm going to put up um, my Marine Corps flag behind me while I'm testifying in my custody trial, because I think that that presents to the court that I'm a good person, because I think the court thinks that all Marines are good people, or I'm going to show up in my police uniform, even though I'm off duty because I think that makes me more credible. 
And what it actually might make someone think is that you're being manipulative. Yes. So, and you don't, I mean, you don't know like how that's going to come across to your fact finder. Like just show up with a plain background and wearing some street clothes that show some respect to the court. And like, if you think like it's cute or funny to have like the message t-shirt on during your support show cause that is you think is sending a subtle or not so subtle message to the court during your show cause, like that's probably not your best idea either. So I think it, is it going to make me make certain rulings in your favor if you show up in a certain way? No. Um, Might I think you're being manipulative? And if that's an issue for what I'm hearing, might that impact how I view your testimony? It might. What about folks who use a picture of themselves as their background? (laughs) Which we've seen. (laughs) A giant picture of your head behind your actual head. I would say that's a hard no on that. And everyone's on notice that that's a hard no. <laughs> I look, I think everybody, and I understand it, right? You're, you're trying to get, you're trying to develop an angle. You're trying to play to what you think is going to be most receptive to your case. I think a lot of times people either overplay that or over state the importance of that you know i'm more concerned and i think most triers are more concerned about the substance of what you're testifying to or what evidence is being presented i don't care too much about zoom backgrounds which is like a relatively new thing for us in the last two years right but it's Um, also like it's going to be more of an eye roll than anything else like mm -hmm. (laughs) But but again i think it goes back to to what we started this podcast talking about was that there is there is nuance in this world, right? And, and part of that nuance is that like, when I'm looking at these things and my you know, neurons are firing all over the place, why, why invite me and my mind to even go down that path? Well, like, true. And it's just, it's a distraction. Right. Like, I hope that I'm, I'm able to get past the distraction, listen to the substance of what you're saying because really the eye roll is a split second. And then the impact of that is now nominal. Right. It's right. I I guess for me, it just, I I was surprised to see she even make a comment on a social media account. Again, I I just didn't think it was necessary. I didn't think it helped her case. I didn't think it was going to be something that you know, because, because what you, what you have seen and, and, and make no mistake about it. Look, I think this case is being litigated as much in the court, the courtroom as it is in the court of public opinion. 100%. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It's about restoring his reputation. It's, exactly. So even if he, even if he gets a judge or a jury to say, sorry, dude, we don't think that your defamation case lives up to the standard and such and such in New York Times. And, you know, I can only remember half of that case citation off the top of my head mm-hmm. from from Sullivan. towards Sullivan. Nice job. So we, we to get teamwork made the dream work. We got it there uh, together. Um, you know, I think he and his legal team are hoping to at least restore enough of his credibility for movie studios, 
the corporations that own movie studios, the producers who, who make these movies, the directors and casting directors who pass people in them to say, you know, maybe we, maybe we did misjudge what we thought had happened early on, and we now don't have the concerns about casting him in future projects. Well, and also, I've thought too much about this too. He could have done like a tell-all interview, I suppose, um, but I don't think it would have been as effective. No. Because it's not subject to cross-examination. It's not in court. Um, you know, it can be cut and spliced and manipulated in such a way. And I, if that is the intent of this trial, and I'm sure some of it's about money, but I think the thrust of it is restoring his reputation. So far, he's been very effective. Yeah, and, and, and listen, I don't, she probably has deeper pockets than I do, but I don't think she has deep enough pockets to set him up for the rest of his life on his lifestyle. Well, speaking of deep pockets, can we talk about Elon Musk in the elevator? What in the hell? Did you see this? No. <laughs> so there, there, <laughs> there are two video clips that I've seen so far of her in the elevator. I believe it's of their residence. I think while they were still together, I might be mistaken. Oh, I forgot they dated. I, I totally forgot about that. So yeah, it's her and Elon Musk all over each other. Not from what I saw, not in a makeout way, but a very cuddly sort of like he's cuddling her from behind vomit. Um, and then James Franco, and he's like they're cuddled up together in the corner. And I think they think they're out of shot of the camera, but they're not. Um, and he's like leaning her head, his head on her shoulder. But it's while she and Johnny Depp were still together. Okay. I believe. Um, but also, folks. I don't, I don't get Elon Musk. I don't get it. <laughs> I, you know, I, mean, I, I get, I get him from a business perspective and a, like, he's brilliant, but I also ladies that list hot. <laughs> well, it, he's a fascinating character. He's another person you could probably do an entire podcast. on. I, I just been oversaturated with the Elon Musk is going to buy Twitter news. So I sort of, right. Right. This is, have, this is minimalist in the Elon Musk universe. Right. Yeah. <sighs> now I forget. Can we go saying. back to the wardrobe for a minute? Yeah. So, um, I thought also too much about what Johnny Depp chose to wear to court. And initially I was kind of like, really with the dark shirt, like it's sort of so on brand, like, do we really have, I was like, yeah, we really do. Cause if he would have shown up like in a very conservative, like white shirt, you know, striped tie, traditional suit kind if of. If he shows up like Daniel Craig outfitted by Tom Ford, <laughs> you're looking at him going, who are you? It wouldn't have been credible. No. It would have been like, oh, you're dressed up in a costume for court so that I think you're credible. Now I find that not credible. Put it this way. I would have found him more credible if he showed up for court dressed as Jack Sparrow than if he wore the Tom Ford. But I would have. <laughs> hey, everybody. Future Ryan here, editing the podcast. Rebecca and I didn't really know how to end this episode, so we just ended it. Uh, wanted to give a thanks and credit to TikTok user MCU Loki, MCU L O K I I, who uh, did a tremendous job 
capturing some of the testimony from Johnny Depp and setting it to music, which we were successfully able to put into this podcast episode. So again, uh, if you are on TikTok, make sure you follow MCU Loki for all of your legal video needs. Until next time. Thank you.